bandwidth demand is only going to grow and continue to grow. The Internet of Things is only in its infancy, and that bandwidth is going to continue to shoot up. Think about things like distance learning or folks working from home. All of those things have accelerated. Open disaggregated network architectures are now regarded by many as the inevitable future of the communications sector. Total global mobile data traffic, excluding traffic generated by fixed wireless access, reached around 67 exabytes per month by the end of 2021. This is projected to quadruple and reach 282 exabytes per month by 2027. Demand for data shows no signs of slowing, and network operators are challenged every day with the need to deliver massive scale and new services, all at lower costs. One solution which is proving successful is a switch to open disaggregated networking. So why are the service providers and telcos making this switch? This is episode 16 of The Critical Lowdown. Recently, our senior systems engineer and podcast regular, Barry McGinley, sat down with IP Infusion, a leading provider of network solutions for telecom and data communications operators. IP Infusion delivers open, standards-based solutions that span from the edge of the network through the transport layer to multi-cloud environments. With over 20 years' experience, they are a proven leader in delivering validated, carrier-grade solutions with hundreds of customers and thousands of deployments. Let's jump right in. Okay, so welcome to EPS Podcast. Um, today, we have Craig Schaefer from IPI and William Graves from IPI. So good morning or good afternoon, I think it is, Craig. <laughs> yeah, good afternoon. It's uh, the lovely hotel room here in uh, in Madrid. So uh, that's where I'm at. But Barry, thanks for having us. My name is Craig Schaefer. I'm with IPI and I lead our channel sales organization uh, globally. So uh, happy to be with you today. Great. And William, William, I think it's morning for you, I believe. <laughs> Yes, it's good morning. It's not too. It's not. Too, it's about mid morning, so it's not too bad. Uh, I am William Gray's. I'm I'm our lead solution architect in our channels uh, for IPI, um, and uh, looking forward to having this conversation with EPS. Great. Okay. Thanks, guys. Okay, so I'm going to jump straight in and start kind of getting into some questions. So the first one, I suppose, is. We've seen what well, we've seen with EPS, any with our relationships with EdgeCore and Ufi Space. Um, open networking. So we saw in the hyperscale data center area. So what are you guys are concentrating a lot? I know on the telecoms area. So what are telecoms looking for from open networking from disaggregation? Yeah, well, I think it's 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 a few things actually. I think uh, you know they're looking for a solution that can really be custom built for for their network for their use cases. That's one of the things that you know open networking or disaggregation lends itself very well to from selecting the silicon you want to the hardware you want to the software you want, being able to optimize it for that service provider's uh, uh, use case and, and customers is is exactly what uh, people are trying to do. I think as 
telcos and, and service providers, risk avoidance, I think, is probably, you know, number two, very high on the list. And, uh, yeah, so that plays very well into what we're doing. We uh, we have the ability to deliver these one-hand-to-shake solutions that uh, are backed up with our support, and uh, which is which is fantastic. So you don't have to go source things from different vendors. You can uh, come to IPI and EPS and get this, you know, integrated, pre-integrated, supported end-to-end solution. And then lastly, I'd say that it's that that interoperability, it must be interoperable with the with the infrastructure that they've already invested in. And so as you introduce disaggregation into the network, you know, how are you doing that? Because you can't go to the service provider and say, I'm hey, let's go rip out all of this stuff over here and put my stuff in. That doesn't work. So being interoperable, I think, is kind of that that third leg of the stool that uh, that we see every day. Yeah, great. And and as well, the one other part I'd add to that is the we mentioned before about chip shortages and things like that, that uh, yes. being able to move from different hardware. So you guys have ported to, I don't know how many different hardware vendors, but the ability to actually say, right, can I get a box from Edgecore? Nope, it's not available for six months. Can I get that box with the same specs from Ufi Space? Yes, I can, and I can get it in two months. So the, for, from us, from a from a distributor point of view, bordering on integrator, that has been, that's been hugely important during this particular chip shortage. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got cases that we can talk about where that supply chain diversity you know, really helped out, right? So the more no, the more doors you can knock on to uh, to get hardware, uh, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. So uh, that's really played played to our success as well. Yeah, supply chain diversity, perfect. That's that's the way to say it. Much better. Yeah. <laughs> Um, William, what about what is yourself? You're thinking on, on why it's so important to um, to telecoms or XSPs, we call them actually. But um, yeah, I think they are looking for uh, some value, right? I mean, they had their existing vendors. A lot of them are getting to we'll call it the end of life areas of uh, of the current generation of platforms, and they've been watching the market uh, evolve because obviously merchant silicon is a very big piece of the market, whether it be legacy, whether it be open. And I think they're looking for uh, value and, and options in the network, right? Uh, the use cases are still the use cases, meaning that there's a lot of interest, obviously, in the build outs with 4G and 5G uh, up, up, you know, networks with a lot more capacity. Obviously, broadband aggregation, at least on a good chunk of the world, is top of mind because of the, all of the new access technologies that are being put in. A lot of these networks also being upgraded as well. So I think it's just a matter of they're looking to say, OK, now that we're evaluating our vendors and maybe when they kicked the tires earlier, open wasn't quite ready. But now they're coming back to kick it again. And maybe they're considering having, you know, typically providers have a two vendor strategy. So maybe one strategy is to have a legacy vendor and one. The other vendor would be an open vendor. So it, it's interesting to see how the, the dynamics there. But the bottom line is they're they're all looking for similar functionality across the board, you know, to support their use cases. And they're looking for who can provide a better TCO uh, when it comes to the deployment. Yeah, I think we were definitely seeing it on the broadband aggregation side. So like the money being spent in the UK, and <laughs> Spain are a bit ahead of everybody, but Germany are now kind of coming in for XGS pond. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're seeing it with cell site routers. So actually it brings me on to my next question. So I was looking at the website and then I was looking at, there was a blog recently done on the website 
and it kind of talked about the few areas you guys are, are looking at strongly. So the first area that, that kind of gets mentioned is disaggregated cell site routing. So can you explain, William, a little about what that is and where where it's used? I think there's multiple use cases for it anyway, because they call it disaggregated cell site routing, but it doesn't necessarily have to be at the cell site. So if you can explain a little about what it is and where what, what areas it can be in the network. I think we'll call it disaggregated exhaul for no other term. Okay, that's exactly how we describe it, or open exhaul. And what you basically have in the networks is things, particularly with 5G and the introduction of the splits between the radios and the DUs, is you now have three areas in the network that backhaul or some sort of uh, transport is required in, uh, for the, to support the radio access. One of those, and probably the most prevalent now, the new one is front hall. Because here before, that was kind of a proprietary area that was kind of locked off between the, the radio vendors. But now with the open radios and the ability to drive everything on eCIPRI, which is an Ethernet-based form of, of delivering uh, the traffic to the DUs, I can split my radios and pool my digital units that I need to do the baseband processing of those. We see a lot of investment happening in the front hall, obviously. And that's uh, um, particularly in the areas where 5G is being put in today. Um, the next area is your sort of your mid-haul and your back-haul in, in these distributed networks, depending on how you like to describe it. Mid-haul might take these areas of DUs and push them back to the centralized units along with their EPCs, depending upon where they're located. So what you have is the diversity of locations uh, in terms of the network that drive, that, that centralized RAN or open RAN starts to drive in those networks. And then last but not least, you have good old-fashioned backhaul. I don't want to call it old-fashioned because obviously it's going through a serious bandwidth upgrade as time goes on. But this is the one where we basically were doing the transport from the cell site to the EPCs. And what you see in those is that a lot of the processing of the radio is there at the cell site. And that tends to happen in less denser areas. So you've got a multitude of, of, of transport options that are required. Obviously the front hall being the most latency sensitive, mid hall being somewhere in the middle, and then back hall being sort of the existing kind of functionality that people were used to. And uh, we're seeing um, traction in all three based on the platforms that we have. Um, and this is the area you know, that we typically you know, have to go through the longer um, evaluation cycles and test cycles because of the majority of the vendors here or the majority of the, the customers here are your fairly large wireless providers around the world. Yeah, and I did see, um, so these products have been hugely successful. So we saw with TIP and how many actual devices there are now. So so the different board counts on the different devices um, are huge now. I don't know, Edgecore have five, Eufy Space have seven or eight different cell site routers. And just, just from a technical point of view, like you guys did start off as uh, like you, you had a data center skew five or six years ago. So did you, how much work have you put in to actually be able for the software to work on all these devices? I don't know, Craig, is that a question that you could, you could answer, but how much R&D, how much work has actually gone in? I think you guys are about to release 6.1. How much work has gone into actually, because there is a lot of devices now under under the, the kind of OCNOS um, brand name. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be able to quantify the, you know, the man hours of engineering time that we spend or anything like that. But, you know, I can tell you that we have been concentrated pretty well on the service provider space, whether it's, you know, DCSGs, this aggregated cell side gateways and, and routing, but also just the broadband aggregation play is huge, as you know, Barry. So, you know, this, uh, these all... And that's the people that are rolling out fiber in the UK with all of this kind of venture capital, private equity investment. It's been a really exciting time. I think 5G, as we've discussed, and edge computing, it, it throws a lot of pressure onto, onto the aggregation points in the network. So a lot of the focus and investment has gone there. But at the same time, you know, we've still got the products that, that play well in the data center. And I think as we, we go forward, you're going to see a, a, a pretty good strategy in terms of how we're going to address data center, continue to address our, our data center and customers. We've had a lot of success there. and uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, we want to go to where the market is going, and that's, that's where uh, the telco and service provider market is that we're chasing, and that's where we're going to go. But again, the data center uh, solutions are still very robust and, and, and prove well. Okay, and I think we'll, we'll go back to broadband aggregation, William. So obviously we're doing lots in the UK with this, as the, the pot is enormous. France have a large pot there. Germany are announcing large pots all the time. Um, yeah, so what's, what kind of products? I know we do one particular um, deployment with a company aggregating the actual OLTs, but there's there's lots of different things for, for broadband ag aggregation if you want to give us a little bit of a a little bit of explanation on it. I give you kind of a worldwide view. So you talk about the investment that's happening in the UK and Europe um, as well, but you've got a tremendous amount of investment happening in the US and in Canada. A lot of that tends to be driven by government government initiatives, um, but there's PE kind of floating around in there in terms of the, of the companies that are putting this in the ground. You kind of have three types of traffic that are being aggregated. Some of it's active ethernet, which is just standard ethernet, uh, all the way to the premise. You see a lot of that in the business areas. The second one is from the cable side of the plants where a lot of the DOCSIS is being converted into RFI or RMAX5, which is sort of a fiber-based uh, backhaul for that particular traffic. And then obviously PON, whether it be GPON, XGS PON, and maybe the next two versions that are starting to come up as those get conversed. You just basically have a lot of bandwidth being updated on the edges. And I'll give you an example. I'm pretty sure the corollary exists in Europe. Uh, if you looked at the US five years ago and looked at what XDSL coverage that we had in the US and how that looked, you compare it today and see how much that coverage is now fiber. Fiber is driving everything. And that's a huge delta in terms of the amount of bandwidth that I can push back in some cases, um, 2X, 4X, 6X, even 10X more bandwidth that needs to get pushed back to the pop. And it's a tremendous adjustment for these folks, but there's that investment there is driving all of the applications for streaming, over the top delivery of, of, of video, et cetera, and so forth. And I just don't see an end to it. I, I think as these infrastructures upgrade, they'll continue to upgrade. And as long as you know there's money to be made, uh, there'll be folks in the in investing and driving this. 
Yeah, um, yeah. Like I don't think we have. I have a gig in my house. I don't think I need it, but they will build things for me to use it. That's that's the that's the point. I was actually playing uh, on the Oculus, the new NFL game where you're a quarterback. So I can imagine that's all live. I can imagine you're you're using plenty of data with that. So actually, I want to take it back to the data center. And now. Barry, if I might add, there's one thing I think that we overlook, and I think the pandemic really pointed this out. I think people kind of looked at broadband as kind of like having a cell phone, a convenience of some sort, right? I think with the pandemic, everybody realized how connected we actually are. And if you look at broadband, it's the fourth utility. It's just like having electricity or water or heat. You know, these are the things that you need in order to get by in the modern world these days. And I think that's that's also something we should keep in mind in the sense that if people aren't doing it just for the sake of driving profit, there's, you know, initiatives coming from various governments, et cetera, and so forth to, to connect the population in a manner that allows for some additional efficiencies that we didn't have and also to deal with these kind of things that might happen in the future such as a pandemic hopefully you don't have any more of those but that we know we can manage to make things work even if we can't move around as much physically yeah no i agree i think the pandemic sped it up it was happening but the pandemic sped it up with with the work from home Yep, the move to work from home. Um, I just I actually want to go back to the data center because it's, it's a part that kind of frustrates me with open networking because we've worked so hard. Like over the last decade, we've worked so hard. Grand hyperscalers did it. That's brilliant. You have Amazon, you have Facebook, all using bare metal and Microsoft Azure. But then we did all the evangelizing and we were at OCP events and TIP events. And then once it got to a certain point, we moved to the telecom. We moved to the telecoms area, which it doesn't mean we haven't stopped doing it. Um, and, and we're we're kind of refocusing ourselves a little bit on it. And obviously there's Sonic, there's there's still multiple, there's still multiple Sonoffs vendors out there yourselves. Um, we have Sonic. I heard you mention data center. Is that a move for you guys to kind of go back and concentrate on that? Or have you been concentrating on it? Or, yeah, can you tell us about your plans for, for data center? Who is that to? Is that to William? Or well, you could go. Yeah, work away, Craig, and then, then we'll see what William has to say about it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I tried to address it earlier in terms of the fact that, uh, you know, we continue to, uh, to to prove out our robust robust solutions in the data center. We've got significant large customers and customer opportunities that are on the table as we speak. Um, so, you know, I think the, uh, the vibe that we've been giving off the past couple of years is that we're all about telco and service provider. But, uh, you know, what you're seeing more from IPI these days is that, you know, what – our investment has been there over the past couple of years, but it's also been, you know, in sustaining and making sure that uh, the data center solutions are are right there alongside it. So, you know, I think that's kind of been the subtle shift in strategy is that we're still very much in that game. But, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're moving probably a little bit faster on the uh, on the telco side. So, William, I don't know how you would characterize it. I think so. I think if you look at the at the merchant silicon changes, right, they've been more, I'd say, drastic, if you will. Uh, over on the on the service provider side, so obviously it's needed uh, to drive a lot more of our attention to take advantage of that wave of of new silicon coming out. And now you know we can kind of if you start to look about the net about the network, you start to see some patterns emerge. You know EVP and VXLAN, where people are using it both in a data center as well as in service provider deployment environments. 
So when you start to see these these technologies start to converge, there's a natural inkling to where we go and, and start to push forward. I think if anything, you could characterize uh, uh, our uh, lack of marketing more than anything, uh, but not our lack of focus. And uh, we expect to see some upping of that particular aspect in the very near future. And we're still driving it with our partners. Our partners have been very excellent as far as driving these solutions to market. And that's probably the other thing is too, we tend to focus on what we maybe look at a little bit more direct versus what our partners are doing. But our partners are doing an outstanding job in this area to, to drive uh, revenue and sales in this in this critical market for us. The whole aspect of it is it, it really comes down to kind of sort of speeds and feeds. And, you know, there's another generation of speed on the way and we'll be involved in that generation. So I think a lot of times what you were seeing in, this, in the SP market was you had it diverging upwards and downwards. We firstly came out with the open types of networking. It was kind of like in the mid range. And now we've seen us go downwards toward smaller devices down as low as 32 gig to larger devices like in the 4.8 terabyte or terabyte scale type ranges. And whereas data center kind of already had that swagger, if you will, all that range already out of the gate. And now what you'll see now is the next generation of data center where we start to bump up the range on that side as we start to move forward. So I do believe that, you know, we will be equally focused on both of those as we move forward. And there's that convergence is going to continue to drive that focus. Yeah. And as well, like as you said about the data center, we're starting to see some 400 gig switches now. It'll move to 800 and the 1.6 and then capacity wise, it'll just keep keep going and going. Kind of That's because we all the good work has been done, I suppose. The spinal leaf is there and it, that's it. It just works now. So. Okay, just moving on. Um, so like there was a, there was a section on the blog that I read and it was about rip and replace. Um, so how are you seeing service providers, William, I suppose, this for you, how are you seeing how a service provider want to do this? So obviously ripping and replacing may not suit incremental progress more so, but are you seeing, what are you seeing more of? Depends on the opportunity. We see with a lot of the alt nets, that's typically Greenfield. They can just go out and roll it in. Um, but you see with the traditional providers uh, who have a tremendous amount of investment, particularly at their edges and their core, that there you have to do some interoperation there. There's just no way around it, right? So what you'll find is that maybe they they're rolling out a new 5G network. It's it's an overlay from a, from the cell site perspective, but that overlay rolls back into an edge and core layer that's already there. So they would actually deploy you know the new products in that overlay, and then they would integrate them at the edge like they normally would if it was existing. So that's, that's typically the, what you have there, right? And, and, and it depends. A lot of times brownfield means, oh, I have this old box from so-and-so. It's an end of life. I really don't want to change my network, but I'd like to see what the new options are to, to replace it. So we may be going into a network that has a mix of platforms that are aging out, and we will be aging those out kind of one, one by one and integrating the new platforms in. And that's sort of kind of the... Uh, I won't call it the you know, sort of the kind of one onesie twosie type th things as they go. So there's a migration strategy that has to happen there as well. The bottom line is in service provider, unless it's been a brand new network, it's always been a brownfield deployment. There's never really been a much of a rip and replace, at least not in the last 20 years for sure. 
I don't know which which conversations do you prefer the the new the new kind of alt nets or or the the brownfield ones. Whichever conversations are providing a PO. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I don't, it doesn't matter. Is, I think the, the yeah, it doesn't matter. Us. Installed networks, but uh, right. yeah, I mean, it. There's not that many greenfield networks out there, so um, yeah. those are obviously exciting. But for everyone else, there's this opportunity to to really test out, improve disaggregation. I think uh, what was it? More than seventy percent of service providers have some type of disaggregated solution in their network, whether it's a more on the POC or in the lab. But it's not just tire kicking anymore. I mean, these things exactly. are. Are very very real, and that's that's been the biggest thing I've noted in 2022. Is compared to the last couple of years, where you know some people view this as a science project. 2022, it's real, and you know we're experiencing a thousand percent growth in our in our Oknos software line, as an example, as a proof point that this is a uh, this is happening. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, and, and look, like, it's the same for ourselves here, obviously, in the, in the with the EMEA, it's. Like okay. just the projects we have lined up for next year already and towards the end of this year is it's kind of reaching a critical mass okay. um, from all the work we did before. So as you said, and we are actually seeing guys not having to do POCs anymore. So before, previously, we always had to send over some hardware and um, it's not 100% necessary anymore if you can get them over uh, virtual um, you guys have virtual software to send over if they want to test what the CLI looks like, but you don't necessarily have to send um, multiple boxes for guys to kind of to bash away with in the lab anymore. Yeah, definitely. I think what you're starting to meet is, is there's a maturity starting to happen in the industry. And it, depending on the type of provider that you are uh, and your normal processes for introducing new equipment into your network, that maturity starts to, to play in. So if if I'm more of a smaller player and I'm a quick to market. Um, what you just described is is very real. If I'm a larger player and I test everybody, what it's allowed us to do is to get into those labs, to get into those testing cycles, to get a pr to become approved vendors at those larger carriers. And I would say a couple of years ago, like Craig said, yeah, the technology guys were all cool and they wanted to come and play. But now we're starting to hit into the mainstream, you know, uh, operational side of, the, of these players to be seriously considered for full-blown deployments in a lot of these large networks. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Actually, but that that brings us on to time to brag, I suppose. So, <laughs> like, so we're working, if we're doing a, a good bit with you guys in Africa, obviously in the UK, um, on the on the other side. So over on in the on the US side, what kind of deployments have you guys got, or how are things going over there? Well, as far as the ones that are going out of the door very quickly, they're very broadband related. Uh, that's been the most active area as far as things that we have gone from ship to deploy. Uh, we are in a number of active evaluation and trials with a lot of the larger wireless carriers and that process just takes its time. Uh, I don't know. It's very similar to the larger carriers you guys have in Europe. But I would say, you know, a few years ago, we weren't even there. Now we're now we're there and we're just working our way through these things. So we're not ready to brag about anything yet. Uh, I think uh, except for our, our ability to drive the broadband and be part of that revolution in the, in the U.S. and Canada. And maybe we'll be able to brag a little bit more next year after we get through uh, a lot of these lab trials and evaluations with the larger carriers. 
And, and I guess just carrying on that global theme, I mean, so William mentioned, uh, you know, North America, the success is there. I think we've talked about Europe, but certainly, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in Africa right now. And Barry, I think you mentioned that, but, you know, we've got, we've had great success in South America as well. Uh, emerging yeah. markets throughout the world have been, been ripe for, uh, for these solutions. In fact, in Asia, we've, uh, we've had a lot of activity, whether it's, uh, I think we just re- announced a uh, press release with uh, Linta Sarda, one of the leading carriers in Indonesia, as an example, that, uh, you know, we've had success with. So it's widespread. And uh, that's, I think, one of the things that's most exciting. It's not just, you know, tier one telcos. It's not tier three and four. It's not just one geography. It's it's everywhere. And that's, I think, just proof point that this thing is maturing and, and ready to take off. And you brought up Barry, data center, Barry. In, in the Americas, that's been one of the year. So the bright areas, particularly in South America, we've had a lot of uptake of the data center products in South America that uh, and we believe that's just getting warmed up in, in some cases. And the South American market, they haven't really started a lot of their broadband ex- expansions. And we're starting to see those start to ramp up as well. So like Craig says, what we're seeing is is sort of the three kind of things worldwide, broadband, data center, uh, you know, backhaul or exhaul. And we're trying to play actively in all three of those things worldwide. That is what's driving the growth of all of the networks as we move forward. Okay, that, that's lovely. That, I think that rounds it up quite nicely on, on those three areas. So thanks very much, Craig, for your time. And thank you very much, William. Sure. Likewise, Barry. Thank you very much. Thanks. We've covered various technologies and terms on this podcast. To our listeners, don't forget that all of the information you heard today is available on our website at epsglobal.com forward slash podcast. Until next time.